God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Carney E. Free. Here's Pastor Adrian Boykin. I went out to find a friend, but could not find one there. I went out to be a friend, and friends were everywhere. You know if that's true? This is truth. Seems to me we all want friends, but oftentimes we don't do what is necessary to be good friends. It's very interesting to me that when we choose to enter in and say, I am my brother's keeper, we find brothers around us. We choose to enter in and say, I am my sister's keeper, and I'll be that. You find sisters around you. If you choose to say, I want to sharpen another, I will be sharpened by another. I desire to strengthen another, then you will be strengthened by another another. Throughout the series, we've been talking about characteristics of friendship. And today, what we're going to talk about how you can choose to go be a good friend over the long haul, things that you can do to initiate, but then also to strengthen friendship, how you can choose to be a good friend as opposed to just passively waiting for other people to be your friend or asking God to provide friends. Sometimes God would have us go be a friend to someone and then we would receive the same in turn. And I I just want to share here at the beginning that like friendship is a theme that's really close to my heart. And it, it is for many reasons. I mean, number one, I've gone through seasons of life where I haven't really felt like I had friends, and others like now that I do. Um, But also probably more specifically, at my previous church, where I previously served, um, I led life groups and I led men's ministries, and I just saw how rare it was that men would have friends. And I saw the effects thereafter that came for so many men by not having a couple friends in their lives. And I've noticed more and more over the past several years that while relationships are easier for ladies, I've noticed many ladies would say the same thing, that it's difficult for them to have the kind of deep, robust friendships that I've just described that are based on on more than just pleasure or utility. And so, this is close to my heart. let's, Let's launch off together for this morning's message as we talk about four things that you can do to become a great friend, three today and then come back next week for the fourth, okay? That's your little teaser. But three today, three things that you can do to be a great friend. As we launch off, would you just say with me from the screen, Proverbs 27, 17. Such a powerful verse for us to launch with today. Would you please join me? As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens... Yeah, that's how it goes. As iron sharpens iron, so a man would sharpen another man. A woman would sharpen another woman. A friend would sharpen another friend. So three today and one next Sunday. Here's the first. A sharpened friend begins with a Christ-like example. If you want to be a good friend, you begin with a Christ-like example. You want to sharpen another, you begin with the example that you bring to the table. Like if you're If you're married today, as I am, if you come into conversation with all kinds of instruction and correction, how does that go for you? It doesn't go too well, does it? You don't come in hot. You don't do that. 
You come in asking questions. You come in listening. You come in offering encouragement. And then you earn the right to offer your advice. And you do it again and again and again. The example is more important than the words that you say. So also in parenting, parenting teaching is very important, but I'm convinced that parenting is more caught than it's taught, right? Like I'm, the teaching's really important, but it's more caught. And there's no silver bullet in parenting. I'm not suggesting that in any way, not for any of us, certainly not for me. But the example is what's so profound. And in our friendships, likewise, the example is deeply important. There's a number of verses you'll see on the screen of examples from the scripture on this. The first one is from Jesus in John 13. He says this, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all people will know you're my disciples by the way you constantly prove your right to one another. Does it say that? No, it doesn't say that, does it? By the way you love one another. So here's Jesus with 12 men. And looking in the eyes of 12 men, he says, you've seen, you've noticed, you've experienced my love for you. And as you've experienced my genuine love for you as men, so you love one another. You saw it. This example rang true. Now out of that example, be inspired to go and do likewise, he's saying. Or think of John and Peter in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. They're in jail, and they get out of jail, and they maintain this incredible courage, and people notice them, and it goes like this. When the people all around saw that John and Peter were just unschooled, ordinary men like you and me, they saw that they're just regular guys, they were amazed at what they saw. They saw their courage, and they said, wow, take a look, stand back at what they have. They were astonished, and I would underline in my Bible, if I had my Bible out right, right now, or if I was taking notes, I'd go back into my Bible, and i highlight this. They saw it, and they took note. They took note. They said, that's the kind of man that I want to be. I see my friends, John and Peter, taking a stand, and so I want to go be more like them as well. This is the power of a humble, confident, sacrificial example. Or how about the Apostle Paul? Many more could be given, but I'll end well with this one. The Apostle Paul is writing to one of his favorite churches. He loved all of his churches, though, that he started, but he loved some more than others. <laughs> At least so it seems. He loved them all equally, but there were some that were affectionate to him, and he was affectionate back to them. And one of them was the church in Philippi. And they had this deep love between each other. And he said this to, to the church in Philippi. He said, whatever you have seen or heard or received from me, put in, it into practice. And first, before that, verse 8 of Philippians 4, he says, whatever is true, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, sit your mind on such things. Now, the reason he says to do that is because your actions follow what you think, right? Your speech follows what you think. As Jesus said elsewhere, it's out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. And so we set our mind, we set our hearts on things that are pure and good. And then in time, something very different comes from us such that Paul is able to say what you have seen or heard, or received, or learned from me, go do that. Wow. I'd so like to be that kind of example that could say that, the kind of friend that other Christians just want to be around because they, they see you and they say, man, there's just something so pure about him and right 
and true and noble about him. Now that begins with just being present with people, doesn't it? The choice to be an example is the choice to be present with people in their pain, present with people in their frustrations or their discouragements, and and that's really what a good friend begins with. I choose to be present with you. There's the starting point. I'm there for you. And when you trust that someone is there for you and you see that that someone is a beautiful example to you, then you listen to what they want to say. Billy Graham was a great example of this, and one of my favorite quotes for him goes like this, when courageous men take a stand, the backs of others are stiffened. Mm, Sit on that for a while. When courageous men take a stand, the backs of others who are watching them are stiffened. Other people get more courageous through your courageous example. Could it be that it was his courageous example coupled with his empathy, his sensitivity, his wisdom, his willingness to listen, that made him a spiritual advisor and humble, confident friend for every president from Harry Truman to President Obama? Wow. How could someone have that much influence? It starts with a sterling example. And I got to believe that out of that example, of course, he offered great encouragement to each of those presidents as well, presidents as well, as he prayed for them. And that's the second piece of a sharpened man, a sharpened woman, a sharpened friend encourages you toward goodness. They provide a great example, and then they encourage you toward goodness. I am just convinced that some of what we go to counselors for today could be solved by having a couple really good friends. And I'm not against counseling by any means. I've been to counseling. My wife and I have been to counseling. Not ashamed of that at all. And there's definitely reasons for going to counseling. No question. But some of what we deal with as men and women could be solved by having a couple good friends in our lives. I love the way Justin Early puts it in his wonderful book, Made for People. He writes this, Without someone else... To affirm our existence in the world, we stumble along, unsure of everything, doubting the biggest and the smallest decisions alike. What we usually don't realize is that all that fear and anxiety is not the product of facing difficult circumstances, it is the product of facing those difficult circumstances alone. Man, that's so good. That's just so true. So much fear and anxiety in life is the product of facing difficult circumstances by ourselves. And not having people that would encourage us on the way. One of my favorite examples of this is in Deuteronomy chapter 1. As God is giving a verdict to Moses. That because the people of Israel had failed on two different occasions. And Moses also was about to fail. God tells Moses as he's a very old man. And he's been leading the Hebrews through the wilderness for all these years. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt. Now they've been going through the wilderness. And he's excited to get to the promised land. But God tells Moses you can't go to the promised land. And he disciplines Moses because of a failure on his part and then also a failure on the part, a lack of belief, a lack of trust from the people on a couple of different occasions. And God don't play, right? Like God disciplines Moses. Somebody say, God don't play. God don't play. He disciplines those though that he loves, including Moses, over 100 years old. After all these years of faithfulness, he fails to trust God and the people also fail to trust God and God says, you can't go to the promised land. 
But even so, God says, I'm still not done with you. I still forgive you. I'm still for you. I still love you. And I still have something for you to do. You can't go into the promised land, but it's your job to go encourage the one who is going to lead the people into the promised land. And Moses says, okay, I'll do it. Here's how it goes. Deuteronomy 1. Because of the Lord, because of you, because of you, Moses says, the Lord became angry with me also and said, you shall not enter it either. Moses had his failures also. But your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, he will enter it. Encourage him. Moses, go encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And leadership is hard, he says to Moses. So Moses, go out of your way to go encourage Joshua. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. So Moses, you don't get to enter the land but Joshua will, and he'll lead the people. You go, and you build him up. And Moses did. And Joshua takes the reins of leadership, and he's overwhelmed by the leadership task himself as it's so much to lead an entire nation of literally millions of people at this point across the Jordan River and into that land that God had promised to them. And he's overwhelmed by it all. And so you know who else comes to Joshua in this critical moment and encourages him? Listen to Joshua 1, 5, and 6. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You just be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. It's God himself. God himself comes to Moses. He meets with Moses face to face. And then he says, as I was with Moses, so I'm going to be with you, Joshua. I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to encourage you, and I'm going to spur you on as a young leader to go do this great task, and I got to believe in this moment, Moses' back, excuse me, Joshua's back was stiffened, wasn't it? God did this like spiritual inventory, and he learned that he has the gift of encouragement. Okay, God doesn't learn anything. That was a joke, maybe not a very good one. God knows it all, but he has the spiritual gift of encouragement, and he chooses to encourage Joshua as he takes the reins of leadership for the people going across the Jordan River. Listen, friends, this is why the Bible says so often, let us mutually encourage each other. Let us build each other up in the faith, just as in fact you are doing. Let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building one another up in love. Like, what if we just followed that one out of Ephesians 4? I'm not going to let a single unhelpful word come out of my mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up in love. What if the church did that? Wow. What if we did that in our workplaces? What if we did that with the teams that we coach? What if we did that in our schools? What if we chose in our family, in our friendships, I will never gossip. No words that are not encouraging, only what is helpful for building others up in love. Then we would become the embodiment of that very word, encouragement. The word encourage means to give courage to. Someone doesn't have courage, you give it to them by encouraging them. It's to strengthen them, to build them up. And people are withering away like raisins on the vine today in our hopeless world because of lack of encouragement from other believers. To which I say, man, I want to step up. And I want to do what Moses did for Joshua. I want to do what God did for Joshua. 
Listen to what Proverbs 30 says. This is just one of the best. It says, bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. Isn't that good? Like, you see someone and their eyes are excited to see you. They choose to look in your eyes. It gladdens your heart. Good news from that person. It's like fat on the bones. Like the omega-3s, maybe. Okay, the good fats on your bones. It strengthens you for the journey in front of you. Friends, encouragement is your superpower for friendship. Encouragement is your superpower for friendship and oftentimes for marriage as well. Many years ago, where we previously lived, Susie had a job in, um, in Denver, and she was working for a failing school. And, um, and in Denver anyway, when a school fails repeatedly year after year, they shut it down, close it out. And, um, and Susie was in one of those schools. And it was, a sh- it, was, it, was, it was a sinking ship. There's no other way you can put it. And she had this job that was supposed to be like a 20-hour-a-week job that became a 40-hour-a-week job. And she was being paid 20 hours, which made Papa not too happy. <laughs> and we had little kids and she was, I just saw her getting more and more despondent with each passing day as she was coming home from work just buried in paperwork and seeing that this place was so incredibly dysfunctional. And so I was tentative to ask this question, honey, how was work? <laughs> and I just like, I stopped asking that question. And one day I decided to ask it and she replied to me, it was really good. I think I can do this job. And I said, really? <laughs> like, what happened? What changed? And, uh, and she said, one of the teachers told me today, Johnny is really showing improvement. We are so fortunate to have you here. And then one of the parents told me, Maria really likes her speech teacher. She seems to care about her. And all of a sudden, Sue said, I can do this job. This is the power of specific encouragement. It's like it's more than just saying good job. Good job is praise, and that's okay. But specific encouragement says, I see the way you're leading your family, and I appreciate it. I love the way you care for your kids. I love the way you care for your life group. I see that you've been seeking to guard your tongue. Well done on that. I've been praying for you in this regard as you relate to, to your wife and And you just shared with me that you're not experiencing as much anger and you're learning how to be more gentle with her. Well done. Like it's, It's those kinds of specific words that put fat on the bones. And we would do these things for each other to build each other up. It's reminding each other, God is for you. Yes, you failed. That's okay. God is still for you. He's forgiving and he's loving. He's able and he's strong. Your eternity is secure. God is for you and so am I. Let's go back to the Lord with this. Let's keep seeking his face well with this. It's these encouraging words that oftentimes give us another spring in our step to be able to keep going. You will be sharper as a man or a woman if you encourage another. And you will be sharper if you have a friend who specifically encourages you. Finally, the third E is this. A sharpened friend exhorts toward goodness. Exhortation is just a fancy word for feedback. A sharpened friend would exhort another friend toward goodness. So like the north star of our lives is not happiness. 
The North Star of our lives is not pleasure. The North Star of our lives, according to Jesus anyway, is not success. The North Star of our lives, according to Master Jesus, is goodness for the glory of God. That's the North Star of our lives. So don't get it twisted by this world. Don't get it twisted by what we see on TV. The North Star of our lives is not pleasure or success or happiness. It's goodness for the glory of God. Now let me ask you this question. When iron sharpens iron, what happens? Sparks fly. Thank you, brother. This brother knows. (laughs) When iron sharpens iron, say it with me, sparks fly. Sparks fly. And so here's the deal. There is a time to listen, and then there's a time to speak. And there's a time to be empathetic, and there's a time to correct. There's a time to be very kind and encouraging, and there's another time to challenge. And when iron sharpens iron in a really good friendship, sometimes sparks will fly. And we're scared of that today, which is so very unfortunate, because the reality is you and I have blind spots. And the thing about blind spots is we are all blind to them. And so we really need one or two trusted friends. Usually it won't be your spouse. Come on, somebody. One or two trusted friends who have liberty to speak into our lives. Because we know that they love us, because we see their example, because they encourage us, they have liberty to speak into our lives and occasionally, and occasionally though, they would challenge us. Again, Proverbs speaks so much to to friendship, and and one of the words on friendship in Proverbs goes like this, wounds of a friend can be trusted. Wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Like, some of us have enemies in our lives that we think are friends, because all they do is multiply kisses upon us. And they're not real friends, they just tell us what we want to hear. A real friend tells you what you need to hear, okay? The wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Stick with me here now as I just give you a few principles for good accountability relationships or good feedback loops inside of friendships. If you're taking notes today and you care all about being a really good friend towards someone who is a fellow brother or sister in Christ, I encourage you to take note of these. It's not on your outline necessarily. It's just a bonus for you today. Here's a few great ways to build accountability in a healthy manner within our friendships. The first one is just acknowledging this. Most of us don't want accountability. All of us need accountability. We don't, right? We don't really want accountability, but we all need accountability because of what we know about the human condition. The human condition is such that all of us are very, very broken And we need others in our lives who would love us well enough to help move us toward goodness, to help expose those blind spots that we would welcome them into our lives and that we would grow together. That's number one. Number two is this. Exhortation outside of relationship feels like judgmentalism. Okay, so if you exhort someone, if you challenge someone, if you regularly give feedback to people outside of relationship, I guarantee you they'll see it as judgmentalism. They'll see it as self-righteous superiority, and they will close their ears to everything that you say. So number three, accountability must be mutually agreed upon. One person can't say to another person, one man cannot say to another man, I'm going to watch over you in this regard. That won't work. It's got to be me saying to you, I'm kind of struggling in this area, Would you please check in with me on this 
and would you pray with me on this? And then we mutually agree to accountability with one another in those areas, whatever they might be. I have a few of those men in my lives, all the, in my life all the time. I, I, I can name at least four right now that I could go to at any moment and say to them, I'm struggling with anger or lust or bitterness or selfishness or impatience, you name it, any of the above, and they would pray with me and they would check in on me, not in any judgmental way, in a loving and encouraging way, and that sharpens me. Lastly, exhortation must follow example and encouragement or it will ring hollow. Paul said famously in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of angels, but I have not love, I have not love, I have not love, I'm nothing but a clanging gong. My words are hollow if I have not love. This is the order. A beautiful example. Lots of encouragement. And then mutually agreed upon challenge or exhortation. Maybe you can learn from a failure in my own life. 20 years ago, there was a young man who came to me who looked up to me and, and he asked if I would support him, help him out with some stuff. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And he shared with me an area of struggle in his life. And, um, and so then I checked in with him on that area of struggle. And I thought when he came to me asking for help, he wanted like a 50-50 mix. 50% encouragement and 50% exhortation. And what I failed to see was he was a very, very wounded young man. And mostly what he needed was to know I was for him, that I loved him, that I would pray for him, that he could call on me anytime. And so I did encourage him, but I also challenged him more than I should have. And so no surprise, sometime later, he found other friends who would give him the support that he needed. And I'm so glad that he did, but I missed an opportunity to provide the friendship that he needed because I was too eager to exhort. He's forgiven me, and I've forgiven myself. God has forgiven me, and we move on. But I missed an opportunity. It's dangerous, but it's still necessary. And you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater just because I did it wrong in that case. Doesn't mean that I can throw out the baby with the bathwater. My good friends still need me to challenge them from time to time, but I've just learned it's got to be way more than 50-50. It's got to be about 90% encouragement and 10% challenge. <laughs> At least that's what I've learned. And the simple fact is, if you exhort someone without a beautiful example and loving encouragement, it will come across as judgmentalism. And if you exhort someone without simultaneously looking in the mirror at your own areas of weakness, it will come across as, self, as self-righteousness. And so any challenge that we might provide to others always has to be bathed in an atmosphere of humility and prayer. And if it is, over time, in genuine friendship, God will use that. And the wounds of a friend can be trusted. And iron will sharpen iron. And we'll become better Christians as a result. 
Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Adrian Boykin from Carney E. Free. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.